Hello, this is the Tribe Stories, the curated sermons, conversations, and collections of poetry of the Tribe Lagos. May this refresh and revive you as you listen. Um, so I, I'll quickly call, you know, they say ladies first, and I think the spirit is going with that flow this morning. <laughs> Please welcome our dear sister, Dr. Wumi. For me, he's a doctor. Okay, I'm, I'm going to introduce another person, a, a dear friend of mine, and um, I, I, I constantly, uh, his dad is a pastor, but you know, sometimes your dad can be a pastor, but you're not a pastor's kid like that. But the testimony of my dear friend is that he has constantly embodied the light, even in an industry that is always consistently pushing and reminding us that you are, if you're light, you might not shine, but he tells us that the light can shine even in darkness, and darkness cannot comprehend. Jide Kene, Jide, please. <laughs> so, if you've seen um, Living in Bondage was the discovery of the gold, the treasure in earthen vessels. Amen. I want to invite a third person. Now, we, we always talk about creativity and innovation, that God has called us to embody creativity, to embody innovation. And sometimes it's like the church is short on that. This, our supernatural is always about obtaining the miraculous, obtaining healing. But what about obtaining trademarks? What about obtaining innovation? obtaining uh, inventions, right? But um, the third person I'm going to invite and has been part of one of the, one of the tech, pro- tech companies in Lagos that is reminding us that the future has come and is constantly bringing young people into seeing that innovation. You know, we're moving from a mono economy. Guys, oil is not the future, oil is the past. Sorry, oil and gas workers. <laughs> oil, sorry. But it's the past, you know, I was there actually for five years. My point is that the, where we are coming into is the age and time when the creativity and innovation God has placed in us will become the economy. Every man will become his own enterprise. You understand? That you don't need no CV. Guys, please go dust your CV just in case. <laughs> Let's not push it a little further. Ladies and gentlemen, welcome Josh Chibreze. Josh, please. Thank you so much for coming. Okay, so I think we have our mics. Um, this is Stories and Strings. And we may know how we're going to do it. So I really think that at the end of your, your testimony, you do your favorite song. Any, well, any song that has just sort of touched you in a way. Now, guys, if I can do it, you can do it. Any voice is allowed. Whether you're looking for the key, sometimes the key will disappear. You're like, the key I had in my head is not the key I'm hearing on the mic. But guys, you know I suspect it's the mic's fault. No, this mic has been partial. Once I just pass it to you, the mic is the mic. Because what I hear is not what I hear. So we're going to start with you. Um, the next 10 minutes, you share your testimony and then you do a song, any song that is staring in your heart, you're free. Hi guys. Hi. <laughs> Good morning. Um, my name is Wumi. You guys have been to AA meetings. <laughs> I can't tell. <laughs> my name is Wumi. I'm a doctor by the medical doctor. By day and night. So it's, you should thing. clap that she's still in Nigeria. Um, 10 minutes. Okay, so there's a few things. I don't, I don't really know the structure, and I've asked both Pastor Freddie and Pastor Toby, and they refuse to give me one. And I somehow don't know how to work without structure, but we'll see how it goes. Uh, so a little background like 90% of the people here was born in church. Both of my parents, I'm twice a pastor's kid, like on both sides, I mean, <laughs> yeah, but just like what Pastor Freddie was saying, that your parents can be pastors, but you're not there. But I went through, I went through most of the things that most PKs go through, having to be in church, whether you wanted to be there or not, having to wake up, oh, this one is a Nigerian thing, having to wake up for morning devotionals, and maybe they will stone you slippers because you are sleeping. You know, that kind of stuff. I went through most of it. Um, but I also saw what happened in the church, right? It did not seem to me like people that were in church were happy people. I'm sorry to say that. Um, I thought that they had sad lives. And I felt like outside of church, people did not have any other thing. And that's just because of, like, you have experiences with these people, right? And it's, again, because you're a PK, most of them come to your house. 
So you just see these people and you're like, don't you have a life? Like, you want to do other, other things. And so I didn't want any of it. But that's not to say that I was not a rebellious child. You guys look at me. I was not a rebellious child. I was, no, I was not a rebellious child at all. I was quite calm. And I think that that's just judging from, I have um, three sisters, contrary to popular belief. I don't have a brother. I have three sisters and I'm number two. But somehow I grew up a bit differently from the three of them. Black sheep, if you call it. But I just, I grew up differently from them and we didn't have the same interests. So because of that, I grew up very introverted. So even though I was in church and doing all of that, let's just say I loved God, but I only loved God as much as a toddler loves a clown. Jiggets, like enough to keep them at arm's length, but also enough to recognize that it can be potential threats. Do you understand? So that was as much as I loved God. And I don't know if I liked him, I just was like, it's fine. Um, but yeah, I went through um, school. My story is quite linear, actually. It's quite linear, except one or two things. It's quite linear. So I went through all of that, just living my life and you know, being good in, I was good in church. Like you cannot beat me as competitions. I read, I loved reading the Bible, but that was just because, again, I was very introverted. So I read everything, every and anything, books, the Bible, wherever I had letters, I was reading it. Right, so it wasn't so much that I was looking for God in it, I was just reading the Bible. Right, so I was good at competitions and stuff. But anyway, uh, I think that my, nothing really changed, and maybe I might come back to that so much until I went to medical school. So I left for medical school in 2012, which is a different story altogether. But I went to Russia for medical school, and I think that my story as a believer is also the same as my story as a doctor somehow. There is a place where they intersect, where I feel like I would not be what I am now if I did not go through the medical school. It's not so much because of the medicine, but just because of the journey I had to go through. So I went to medical school, and um, the first time I got there, so you guys have heard a lot about Russia. And if I ask you people what you think about Russia now, I know what you would, I know what you'd say. So before you say it, I also thought the same thing before I left. But Russia is a great place. That's not the story for today. Um, so one of my concerns when I got there was, how am I going to go to church? It's not like I like church like that. But again, because I was a PK, it was just in my head that you have to go to church on Sunday. It was just there. So I found a church. And I remember my first Sunday there. Um, it was a very strange church because it was multicultural, multinational. It was every kind of person, every continent was in that place. And it was interesting for me because I'm, when I also entered, I was coming from, you know, prison worship from Nigeria. Did you get? And I entered there and it was Hillsong. And I didn't know Hillsong at the time. I mean, talks about how she was, she's a Hillsong head and she has known him since she was a baby. I did not know them at the time. I didn't really care about them. But it was there, so I'm like, so I have to go through cultural shock. I also have to go through spiritual shock, right? But I remember leaving that day thinking, okay, I'm going to stay here. And it wasn't so much because um, there was some great supernatural experience I had or an encounter. It was just that I saw people who I felt like genuinely loved God. Because where I was coming from, I felt like everybody was a sham, like these guys are frauds. Honestly, I really thought so. But when I saw, and maybe it was because it was an age thing or a generation thing, and I felt like all these people are my age, and like they are speaking in tongues, and I had a picky, never spoken tongues. I did not really care for it. I always thought that people were just making up words. So I think that that was one of the things that drew me in, and of course the worship. I don't remember what the sermon was that day, so it was not the sermon. It definitely was not the sermon. Uh, but what I know is that um, the church I ended up being happened to be the one that would shape me eventually. Now, there are things that I did not know I had to deal with until I started like actually walking with God. And I don't know, it, like, I was dealing with it, but I didn't know that it was a problem. We had circuits this Wednesday, and IK was saying that this conversation we're having about sonship here, that it's when you start working in sonship, you realize that you have different problems from other people. And I said, yeah, it's true. It's like you start having son problems. Like you're not having, you can have orphan and slave problems. But when you start working, working in sonship, you start having son problems. And that's why I, I count what I went through. And I don't, I don't think I have the time to actually go through that. But 
um, if you think about how incessant we talk about love in the tribe, that's how incessant we talked about grace in that church. And I'm so thankful for it because if not, like it would have been, it would have been really something. I don't think that I would have been able to deal with everything I had to deal with without having grace to fall on. And I can't get to it because I have 10 minutes. So maybe some other time. You have time. That's why we came. Well, you said 10 minutes, Pastor Faye. The point again is I'd be led. (laughs) You guys want to hear it. We're here to be blessed. All right. So, um, so backstory from the backstory. When I was, um, I think I was 10. So I told you guys I didn't have a brother, right? So I was just like my own. The only thing I did at home was read, play video games. I loved playing video games. So again, these were very indoor things. I didn't have to go anywhere, right? So when I was about 10, I think, uh, my cousin came to live with us. He came from the US and his father was like, this boy is becoming something else. So he did that thing they usually do. He brought him to Nigeria so that he would learn small. So he stayed with us. And if you see the both of us, you think that we are like siblings, like actual siblings. Because again, when he came, he plays video games. Doesn't read so much, but he also watched a lot of movies. So we started to hang out a lot more than I even used to hang out with my sisters. Right. And that was interesting for me. It was a different vibe, but I really liked it because I felt it felt like I was more myself when he was there. So he was like it was my G. So anyway, when I was about ten, one of those days that we wanted to chill again, we used to watch a lot of movies, a lot. So this is a time before pen drives and USBs and clouds and I sound old oh my god it's not the time before it's just the time before it became the time before so so we went floppy disk oh my god so we went anyway so we wanted to we wanted to see a movie it was like it was just both of us at home right so we went out I used to watch movies so much that I had a guy it's not a drug dealer but I had a guy it was my movie dealer so every time that I needed to watch something, like I just, it wasn't even far. It was a few minutes away from the house. I would go out and I would get something and I would watch it on the TV. I had like a laptop then. Anyway, so yeah, I know. So we went out and we went to the store and we picked up a movie and we went home. So both of us are, I watch movies like I'm lounging, right? There's popcorn, there's everything, I chill. So we had all of that out and then we put in the movie we wanted to watch. And I think about three scenes in, the both of us looked at each other. Because we're like, this is not what we bought. So somehow we had laid our hands on porn. This was, we we're like 11, 12, 10, 11, 12, somewhere there. And I think we had enough sense at the time to take it out, but we just didn't have enough to throw it out. Like we took it out of the, it was just both of us at home, right? So we took it out. It's like one of those things where nobody has explicitly told you that this is wrong, but you just see it and you're like, I should not be doing this. Right, so we took it out, but we didn't throw it out, we just kept it. And we didn't see it for another maybe three months until we had one of our droughts again, ran out of movies to watch. So one of us had bright idea. (laughs) One of us had the bright idea that you know, I think that even if we put it in, we can skip all those things. And maybe there's still some story to it. I didn't realize that there was, those people don't have stories. There's, there's, there's really no story. That is the story, honestly, that is the story. But we didn't know that. So it was a lot of skipping and that eventually we just gave up. We just left it there. And that was it. Now, this was a very long time ago. And I didn't quite realize how much of an impact it would have on me eventually. Now, usually when I, when I share this story, I always tell people, it wasn't quite an addiction because I, I went months without it. I didn't even go looking for it. Let's start with that. There wasn't a time that I ever went looking for it. But, um, and this is in retrospect because I didn't know. I didn't know that I actually had triggers. I didn't know that there was anything. Like, I thought it was just, some, somehow it just ends up in a street, but I usually have triggers. And because of how I grew up again, that's why I gave you guys the backstory. I wasn't a child that used to talk about things or anything really. So every time I was upset or I was angry or I was worried about something, there was just this well inside my chest that felt like it was going to overwhelm me into 
crushing me if I didn't do something. And that was every time that it would find me. So I might be on my, I might be having like a horrible day just doing stuff on my laptop. And when I was in school, when I was in Russia, it was a lot easier because there was free internet, right? But we used to have these strange websites, these third-party websites where they have pop-ups. So you would just be by yourself watching something else. You just see the pop-up. And sometimes it's, it's almost inevitable. It's just, so I struggled a lot. It wasn't so terrible as I've heard, but I struggled a lot. And it was worse because eventually, like in church, I was in a place of leadership. And I said, these people are going to unravel my secrets. <laughs> no, it, was, it was like that. I was just like, this is it. All these word of knowledge people, they will have, they will have a field day because somebody will just come in and I'll be like, ah, I saw it <laughs> in the spirit. So I had, a, I had a conversation with the Lord and I was like, keep it between you and I. Don't like, whatever you are revealing to these people, leave it out of the revelation. And it's like, I cannot go through all the details. It was just, it was horrible. It was horrible. I felt like a fraud all the time. Every time that I played the keyboard or I played something or I held the mic, every time that somebody was praying on something and they said addictions, I was just feel like, God. I was like, God, it's not an addiction, but this is, this is part of the problems. This is just, this is part of the problems. And I think that the, the day that I, the first day that I realized that, you know, this, it has to go, um, I remember I was in my apartment in school and I think I was just spending time in worship and the Lord brought a picture of the cross to me and like Jesus carrying the cross and how he was beaten and I was, I don't know, I think it was supposed to be revelatory but I was so upset and I was like, if he went through that, why do I have to still go through this? Like it doesn't make sense, right? The point of all of that was so I wouldn't have, when even was singing this song just now, when they were singing, uh, what a friend we have with Jesus, it says, oh, what needless pain we bear, right? And I thought, this is quite unnecessary. Like the point of this, and I felt this, I think you call it holy anger. I stood up from my bed and I said, God, the enemy of my soul is on steroids, but we have to do something about it because it didn't feel like the Lord was also contending for my heart. It felt like what was supposed to be a battle was a siege. Almost like the enemy was just encamped outside my heart and it's like, we're always here. Right, but... Yeah. <laughs> Sorry. Um, but one of the things I started to do was, I started to, I started to write songs for myself. I think the first time that I ever did um, I was going out and somebody just, I was going through my own problems, right? And somebody came the day before because I was a leader in the church, right? And they came to tell me their own problems, which did not feel anywhere that like was close to mine, but I still had to, you know, listen. So I did, and I remember that everything they told me and everything I was feeling, there was just consuming thoughts of helplessness and hopelessness. And I just, I stood up and I was going out and I remembered um, Philippians 4, 8. And I realized, I, I've already realized that it starts from the thoughts, right, for me. It always starts right here. It's a, oh, I feel so, I'm so upset, but I don't know what to do about it. So I would do something that would make me feel le less upset about it. And that's how, that's usually my trigger, right? So I started to, I remember Philippians 4, 8. And I'll never forget this because I was on this regular Russian bus and I was chanting Philippians 4, 8 in my head. It's like, whatever thoughts are pure, whatever thoughts are lovely, whatever thoughts are noble. And it was so weird because the Russians were looking at me. Like, if you know Russian bosses, right? They are, sometimes they face each other. So we, I want to stay on this thought, yeah? And um, the, the, the interesting part is, just in case you don't know, we don't pretend here. So let's just check it out the door for a while. The point again is this, you and I know many of us are walking these journeys. Some people are on their third relapse. They left, he came back. They left, he came back. And I also grew up, um, I grew up in Port Harcourt. The part of town I grew up, there was enough vices to go around. No, there was a, you just had to pick which one you wanted. Some of us got a dose. So by the time I was, an, I was coming to my adulthood, I had a truckload of traumas. I didn't even know they were a truckload. I just knew that I was, there were certain things I didn't like. There. It was just a complicated place to be. Right? But because most of us were sexualized too early, we were exposed to porn before we even had a chance to decide if this was a part of our reality. So I was having a conversation with a friend who told me, the way he just said it to me, you know, my wife and I were no longer together. It's over. Right? And just carried on. You know, that conversation, you know, it, it was so light that I felt, oh my goodness, it's become normalized. 
Now, we, what, why marriages are failing are not unconnected to our traumas and the things we picked up on our growing years that we haven't dealt with. Addiction is oftentimes a, a, a pointer that there is something that needs fixing. Um, traumas manifest as addiction. But unfortunately, we live in a generation where people are actually identifying more with their traumas and people are bonding with it. Two broken men will become two broken men and become a force. Two, four broken women will come together. We're pulling every man down. But we are not called to be motivated or driven by our traumas. So what I'm, why she's speaking to this, I want you to point you, you not your breakthrough process, the deliverance. You spoke about chanting the words of Philippians and staying on the word. Someone had told us once that he was dealing with porn. In fact, his phone was rapid addiction. He had to go three days to survive. Right? Like he had to do it. And he had this incessant masturbation that had to even happen in the office. Right? That was how debased he felt he had got into. And he said there was one particular, and he literally can't go a day without getting into all of these things. And, and for him, porn was an ever-present help in time of need because he had it on the phone. It was just a click away. And then he said he stumbled on this scripture, no longer I live, but Christ lives in me. And he said he said, he said it for as many times as possible. Him too was saying it in a bus. He said it to, and he, some days he would say it and just go in. He would say it and he can't handle being alone. He can't handle darkness. Yet these things were there. And he said he said it for so long that until six months in, one day just woke up and realized, come on, what happened? Like, he could not even remember the last time he did it. So the deliverance oftentimes is not always an event. It's almost a process where God is constantly chipping away. But the renewal of your mind with the word is the goal, is the game. So that's where she's getting to. But she spoke about worship. I don't want us to lose track of how she said she tried to write songs because out of that healing, songs were flowing. And then the word. Are there any other things that you, before we move on to Jide and the rest, that helped your battle? Yeah, I think they were very practical things. Because I think that, for the most part, every time I had seen... So, you know, if you're struggling with something, you try to find help by yourself. So you go online, and then people are talking about the 12 steps, and the 16 steps, and the 9 steps. And I just was like, <laughs> I just want help. So I think that, for me, I did some very practical things. Um, there's a scripture in First Corinthians 10, the 13th verse, that says that no temptation has come to man except I uh, know uh, temptation will overtake you except what is common to man um, and God is so faithful that with the temptation he provided a way of escape and I was the first time I read it I was like okay this is for me but I took it too literal so every time it happened I would just I'm like waiting for a literal way of escape it's, it just wasn't happening I don't know what I expected to happen I don't know if I was expecting to hear the audible voice of God saying stand up or if I was expecting somebody to jump into my room. I don't know what I was expecting, but I was expecting something very literal. But eventually I started to realize that the most practical ways for me were from the roots. So every time that I had all those thoughts that I thought this is a trigger, I would just start to worship. Worship is the reason, it's one of the reasons I don't play with worship because there's nothing that has happened to me now that has probably not come out of a place of worship. I would just, I had, um, I remember I was living in a one room apartment and I moved out into a two bedroom because I wanted to convert, I converted one of the rooms into just, I used to call it Eden. That's all I used to do there. It had all the musical instruments I had. It was an empty space, but every time I felt that, I would just go out into there. Now, I'll be honest, it didn't work all the time. It didn't work all the time. I had to continually do it. Uh, Pastor Toby said something, I think last week, I wasn't even here, but I was in the back room, and he was talking about somebody that, was, that had a smoking addiction, and even while he had the cigarette stick in his hand, he would say, I'm the righteousness of God in Christ Jesus. My pastor used to tell me a story such, such like that. So I started to do it, and it was so weird because you're like, this is heretic. Because <laughs> this, this does not make sense. Like you're doing it, but you're still confessing. But those things start to grow on you, right? I think that the breaking point for me was, I knew that I had to tell somebody. I knew that I had to share it. But somehow it always felt like I'd been in conversation where they're talking about us before. And I don't, I don't say anything because nobody from my mouth could hear say, right? So I don't used to say anything. But I was just, I just listening. I'm like, ah, that's what you think about it. I had pe friends that thought that it was medicinal. It had medical. <laughs> anyway, but I had, I've, had, I've heard so many thoughts. And I think I used to wonder, I'm like, if somebody comes to me and tell me this, I'll be so kind. Why can't everybody be like me? And in retrospect, that was pride because somehow there was arrogance in thinking that I was a better person than other people. Right. For me, the way we're going there, um, we will listen to you all day. 
Nice one. I'm, I'm kind of done actually. No, but you know, um, before we move on to Jide, you were meant to do a song, anyone, a song that helped you in the season in just one or two minutes. Oh. Okay. Um, yeah, I'll do one of the songs that I wrote for myself. I wrote for myself. Um, there's a couple of them, but one of them is um, Look What Mercy Did. And somehow it paints the picture of the cross over and over for me. It's very, it's like three lines. I'll sing only one part for you guys. Um, Look what mercy did. Look what mercy did. A savior at birth, a lover till death. Oh, look what mercy did. Look what a savior at birth, a lover till death. Look what mercy did. Look what mercy did. Please just clap for me. Amen. Jide. Thank you for coming again. Good morning, everybody. Morning. Praise the Lord. Um, I don't. I just wanted to say thank you, Pastor Freddy, for the opportunity to speak. And um, this is my first time speaking in church, although I was born in church. So um, I would start off from where Dr. Omi stopped. Um, I'm also the black sheep. And um, that's because I was born into a very doctrinated family where certain things are sins. You know, you can't wear wigs, you can't wear earrings, and you know the rest of them. So um, I, I, I made a few notes because, like she also said, there was no structure to what to talk about, but I just wanted to maybe not talk about addictions uh, I want to talk about more like the journey for me because it's something that everybody has experienced one way or the other everybody has a journey there's nobody here who was just born and boom they're here so I, I made a few four notes I said day one so it feels like for me from the moment I opened my eyes there was war from the very moment I opened my eyes. I was three years old when my last born was giving birth to, and I remember helping clean the room where they were going to like bring him to from the hospital. So I realized that I was very open-minded, or should I say clear-eyed, from a very young, young age. I remember taking baby steps, and my grandfather would ask me money, and my mom would always say, that's a lie, you can't remember that. And I'm like, yes, I do remember that. So, um, my mom was married to a widower who's my father and being born i already had like half siblings and it was always a problem like in the natural Igbo family there's property to be inherited and there's a lot of struggle and before my mom became the wife they were mostly girls and just a boy so my mother gave birth to three boys on the bounce that was a problem everybody wanted us out 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 so I've always had to support my mother because I realized that she was way younger and didn't have the financial uh, catch-up or the ability to compete with the other side of the family. So that also led to separation and at some point that led to zero communication. So when you hear I'm a pastor's child, that's because my mom remarried and uh, my dad is a general overseer. I knew that, my God giving that, is a Jerovasia, and I always did pray for him. So you know sometimes when you pray for a person that looks like a person, yeah. First time I saw him, I prayed for a dad like him, and God gave me exactly him, you know. So 
Um, I'll push my story to when I was like 10, when the whole separation thing started. Um, there was always a bunch of cousins around who would also bring pornography to the house as well. And you were exposed to a lot of things. And it was a time where my mother would always insist, pray, 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 you don't pray. One thing with me is I don't like to read. And I don't like to do anything that feels like work. So I found out that in my journey with God, I would have to find a way that lets my mother get off my back. But at the same time, I would feel a genuine connection with God. So I found that in praise because I don't know how to kabash for so long. You know, sometimes it feels like I'm repeating things in circles. And when I remember, my Bible says, don't make vain repetitions. So I'm always just giving myself a way to praise. But that doesn't mean that at the end of this um, story that I'm sharing, I'll be able to sing anything close to what she did. So please don't expect that. So um, I, I've, I struggled a lot because the divorce was, the separation was very dirty. You know, I was hiding in different homes. It was very bad because my father wanted to separate us from my mother to make sure that he shows her, you know, that kind of thing. So we had to do a lot of hiding because once he sees you, his security guys will take you and you may never see your mother again. So it was very bad. Um, I, I would come from money and then in the process of hiding, I'll find myself in some very remote areas I lived all over the place, uh, moved all over the place. So sometimes you, you go from hanging out with people who their children are politicians, who their fathers are politicians and stuff, to hanging out with people who their fathers do roadside jobs and all of those things. And one thing I found out is that you have to keep your head down. So I have friends today who when they see me on TV, they can't believe that I can string one full sentence in English. Because when I relate to them, we talk in Pidgin or we talk in Igbo and that's the one way to keep your head down, especially when you're not a greedy person. Because one of the things you find with a lot of Nigerians who are, or let's just say everybody who is into um, money laundering or any of those other schemes is that they always want better, but they want to accelerate the process. So when I found myself in certain spaces, I think I did like two years in the village as well, you would realize that you, you now I see that all those stages was a process. There's some movies I do now and they're like, ah, can you be a village boy? I'm like, that's because I was a village boy. And I know exactly what it feels like to be in different spheres of life, you know? So I wanted to be a doctor, by the way. So <laughs> in trying to do that, my birth father was a doctor. So at some point I felt spite for the whole job and because he wanted me to be a doctor. So I had to write jump like four times, there were stages when you completely feel like, you know what, nothing works here. So look for something else that will work. Something that, because you can't be hungry in this life, you have to make it happen. So around age 10 to 18 was the moving around years, the struggle years. Trust me, I can't go into detail, detail, but I'm just saying that because I don't know what stage anybody else is here. When I sat here, I just said, God, I've never shared my story before. So if I'm gonna share it today, even if it's just one person, that it can get to, that would be enough. So I'm sharing the stages because we all have different stages at different times. A stage that somebody else went through at five, is something you can go through at 65. Abandonment, feeling alone, isolation. You know, I made a WhatsApp post yesterday, I think maybe in my head, maybe I didn't actually print it out. But I said, if you lose a parent and you're trying to separate the other parents from their normal lives, to take them with you so that you can be able to take care of them. You might also be killing them because you don't just uproot somebody from a system they're so used to and take them to LA or Lagos and expect that they will flourish. You know, so I had to do a lot of husbandry and sonship for my mother for many years, trying to be sure that she understood that she had the support of her sons. Because sometimes we boys can remind women of our fathers. Especially when, if you cut off my hand now and bring my father's hand, it's exactly the same vein structure, like, you know? So I had to make sure that in all my um, bad fruits or being the worst person or being the most annoying child, I had to also show her the support that she needed. 
So it was a lot for a person who I'm older than my siblings with just two years or three years to play such a role from such a young age. You now know that everything you do, somebody's copying you. So you have no option to live your life. I'm not a second child. I can't do what I want. You know, if I do what I want, everything will spoil. <laughs> my mother will always cry and say, they're looking at you. What do you want them to say? You know, so I, I had that real struggle within those ages and also dealing with the fact that you can't now embarrass her. You can't now get somebody pregnant. You can't now be the useless child. You can't now, you know, so many things. So even with, the, I first started as a model, then I went into film. So even as those things, I remember the first picture I took was a Valentine picture. I was holding a lady like this. And then when the picture came out in church, the whole elders called me and said, I have to go and take it down. <laughs> so I told them, you know what? I did the picture for free, but I told them, you know what? They paid me 150K for this thing, so refund me and I'll take it down. So that picture is still in that studio till today, as we speak. But I remember that a lot of people in the church would come to me and say, um, bro, okay, no, that's not how they say it in church. Brother, you inspire me. I don't know how you are able to be this woman's child and you're still able to do these things without doing the most, you know? So I'm like, well, I try because there are days where if there was a tape following me around, I probably would not be holding this mic right now, you know, seeing every and everything that I do. So it's more, very important to have moderation and to, you know, when you watch movies, they say um, discretion is advised. So you know when to stop, when not to, how to manage 5,000 naira for two weeks, how not to, how to not ask any uncles. Okay, see, when some of you, when I was in school, some of people would say, oh, my uncle sent me this, oh, my cousin sent me this. I didn't have any of that. That fight in my family made sure that the, my mom and my siblings were isolated. So the only time I would get a cobble would either be I work for it or my mom gave it to me. So there was never anything like uncle buying me a new bicycle or uncle buying me shoes. <laughs> no such thing, you know. So those years I considered to be the formative years because I was either in Amobia or in the village or in Abakaliki or in Enugu in some remote area just trying to survive to make sure my mother is not worrying too much or doing the most. And of course, those times that people that walk up to me and be like, see bro, just bring your laptop. Just go and see this native doctor in Anambra. Once we finish, you take care of your mom, everything will be fine. And if you're a first son here, you know what it feels like to want to go beyond your years and help out someone you love so much because there's no money, right? But I want to preach on contempt this morning because no matter, that's one of the reasons why I really feel at home here in the tribe. Because I remember one time my mother was moving from Anglican Church to Pentecostal Church. And the first church we went to, I remember her begging us that day, like me and my siblings, because we grew up like siblings, all of us. So she was begging us, she was like, please, please, we can't go back to that church. We we're like, no, they used to share biscuits in the children's church. We must go back. She's like, no, 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 I have to be honest with you people. I don't have nice clothes. And all the women in this church are always wearing nice stuff. So let's go to a church where they won't judge us by what we're wearing or what hair we have or da 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 da. So I thought about it, I'm like, well, I don't, mind. I don't want to be enjoying biscuits in children's church while my mother is in the main church and feeling somehow. So I talked to my siblings, we had a meeting and we agreed, okay, we'll go to this other church. So churches where what you wear or how you look, it's not how you are being treated, it's gold. So that's why when I came here the first time, I don't think I've been to any other church since I moved to Lagos and the tribe. So I give it up to you guys. Congrats, you guys did a great job. So um, I remember in 2010, there was one crossover service that we did at home. And at that point, I'm like, if I'm not gonna do Yahoo, mm. you better bring something now, God. Because <laughs> if it pass like this now, I go begin to sell tire or something like money must be made. I remember praying that day, that the first night. I'm like, God, this is, my mother always tells me to lean on you, so I'm trying to lean on you right now. So please, what's the next move? Because I don't know. I don't like school. I don't know what's gonna happen. What's what's really going on? This is the 40 year of writing jump, and this medical thing is not working out. So, what's it gonna be? I remember that you know baby steps. So I wanna also say. Whatever that God is introducing into your life right now, consider them. It's nothing that God can put in your way that's a waste. Absolutely nothing. So 
for example, when I when I I used to drive Enugu to Lagos to audition as a model myself, my car no fit spoil for road. Fear not the catch up because I go repair for the road. <laughs> like I would change my fan belt, I would change stuff because during long vacation, my dad wanted to punish me and he sent me to a mechanic workshop. And instead of feeling punished, I started to learn how to walk a car. You know, so. To me, trust me, for the I love Mercedes Benz. Even if my money won't finish, I must drive Benz. You understand? I don't know what anybody wants to say. How they want to preach it? Did you know, but just, 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 please, just hold that thought. Now, Jesus told me something. I think maybe you or someone else. Now, um, he was, he learned how to do cars. They wanted to punish him, but he picked up something that became a life skill. And he, I remember you were the one that told me this a while back when they were auditioning for Living in Bondage. It wasn't the one for Ahana. Right? Oh, sorry, I'm missing it now. What's the guy's name again? Namdi. Namdi. Yeah. There, was, there was somebody pressing, but he had a, flip, a better Igbo. And so they had to switch roles. I said, no, no, I think I like your Igbo. But you know, I did, maybe at some point, learning Igbo must have seen like going to the village to just spend two years of your life would have seen a waste of your time. But maybe it was the polishing of the Igbo. And then the living in bondage moment came, and that which was picked up like the five stones of David. Remember how David? David was the guy in the bush, right? His brothers they forgot that he was a guy. He was part of the family, but they said David was playing with stones right in the bush. And then the moment came when nobody could kill Goliath because Goliath had everything covered. You can't pierce him. He has shield. You can't stone. He had everything, but Goliath had one space here. <laughs> and nobody knew how to get to Goliath, but they. So what I'm trying to plug in here is that I don't know where you are in your life. God is not punishing you. You're picking up life skills. Don't always see the challenges, yeah, the chaos, the pain. Don't. Sons don't use tragedy as an excuse to be bad. You understand? They use it as a, an impetus to become the, the, the salt that they are. So I know that all of these things hold that thought, but I wanted you to speak a bit about forgiveness. Having a dad who is well-to-do, having to reject you, to live life on your own, and watch your siblings and your mom go through that. Have you forgiven him now? Well, that's a strange question because, um, um, so my birth father passed in January and uh, he's going to be buried in like 10 days. And I've been dealing with a lot of that because I haven't seen him in like 15 years and I'm the one that really looks like him. So sometimes I feel like there's no forgiveness because my mother taught me not to hold grudges. Nobody owes you anything. So I feel like if I could do that with the person that brought me into this world and abandoned my brothers and myself, and I feel no air of hate or anything towards him, it's because sometimes, let's think objectively. Some people are born. Nobody went to any school of fatherhood. Nobody went to any school of motherhood. I've seen a video where somebody said, um, um, I may have been a bad, bad husband, but I'm trying because the day you came into the world was the day I started to learn how to be a father. Do you understand? So I, 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 forgiveness is something I must have. I don't know if I ever felt like I needed to forgive because I don't expect. I don't know if You're I actually real. Yeah, You're I don't real, expect. But, but trust me, sometimes that can also be a bad thing because if I don't expect, that means I'm easy to disconnect. Like. I don't attach, yeah. which sometimes people find emotionally unintelligent. Yeah. Yes. So it depends on where you find yourself, how you make your tools. You understand? Because like you said, a lot of javelins and spears were there, but the stone was what was what came in handy. So yeah. Hmm. <laughs> I, I don't know, because we are running out of time, I would, did I do a song, let's go to Chibwezi. All right, so quickly before I do a song, I just wanted to say that in 2010, the prayer I made was, Father, you know what? I'm not going to decide what I want to do. Decide for me. Make it work. Let something lead to something that led to something that would eventually bring me towards the area that I want to go in life. You know, so that's exactly what God started to do from 2012, 13, with modeling, and then somebody invited me to audition. And then, and you have to, if you, God is going to work with you. You cannot use your own timetable. Stay the course. Which means if God wants to make something right for you in five years, I'll tell you something. Where I'm working my career towards is to be very different. So if God brings you into a space and you decide to do everything because he brought you there, shake every hand, get in bed with everybody, do anything that comes your way, 
you may be removing the special effect of your brand or of your person. So that God asks you to sell bread does not mean that you add meat pie. Do you understand? Sell bread and wait and talk and converse. A time will come so that you don't become whatever, whatever. Yeah. So I'll do a song and it's not, you know, we have new generation churches where you will think with me, I'm deeper life. <laughs> you understand? So just help me so I don't go too far. You guys notice that I can't say. I'll help you. Thank you. <laughs> um, so it's really deep for me. Sometimes when I sing it, there's goosebumps and there's tears, but maybe not today. But I just want you to imagine how I sing it when I mean it, right? Ocean divider, Lord, I lift up your name. Ocean divider, Lord, I lift up your name. Immaculate Redeemer, Lord, I lift up your name. I lift up your name above all the names. Thank you. Was it just you or you just wanted it to continue? Do you know, in fact, I wanted us to go. No, do you know, one more, one more, one more. God, I lift up your name. I lift up your name. I'm over the name. I'll try to divide that. I'll try to divide that, Lord. Thank you so much. Josh. Good morning, everybody. Um, I'm excited to be here. It's my first time in church in a very long time. Um, I, <laughs> I think the one thing that is very common amongst three of us is we're all pastors' kids. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, so um, my both parents are pastors in the church. Um, but yes, I was the rebellious one. <laughs> it's a black sheep Sunday. <laughs> okay. Um, so I, I didn't have the kind of childhood that I think everyone had. I didn't watch a lot of cartoons and all. I didn't have a lot of toys. I tried to play football, but every time my dad is coming back home, you have to run inside the house and pretend like you're, you've been reading. Um, so that kept happening. But um, I was, because I was always reading, I was good at schoolwork. Um, I remember, you know, being promoted a couple of times, you know, always coming first in class. And then in my secondary school, SS3, just before IEC, um, I dropped. Um, I started to, you know, engage in other things, like having girlfriends and things, <laughs> right? And so that derailed me for a bit. Um, but then when it was time to choose the school I wanted to go to, I was very, very, I insisted on going to Covenant. And that was the start of my journey. I mean, my first year, results were good. Second year, became terrible. I started to gamble. So I had a gambling addiction, actually. Um, in my school at the time, I was one of the, I was actually the best at playing FIFA then. So people would come to my room, they would actually put money and bet for me to win someone else, and they would actually make money. My room was a casino. We would roll the dice, you know, every now and then. It was in the really, holy really land of Ota. In the holy ground of Ota. <laughs> yeah, it was crazy. Um, but yeah, um, all that happened. I think my message this morning is centered around opportunity, meeting, preparedness. Um, everything that I've went through my entire life was basically setting me up for what's happening today. Um, I met my co-founder, Somto, who's the CEO, in my 100 level. Um, Somto then used to, used to make robots in school. Um, he made an aeroplane, actually, in school then. Uh, he made a robot hand 
did a couple of things. Covenant. <laughs> yeah, and you know Jeff, it's too late now, you can apply. <laughs> so um he's always been very, very, you know, innovation driven, everything. And where I started to click was when I went for my IT. So I did my IT in Total Nigeria PLC. Um, it was a very interesting experience. Um, my boss, she was pregnant at the time, she really loved me because I was always running the runarounds for her. And I was working in a department that was very, very manual. You know how... <laughs> so my department was the, the one in charge of making sure that um, you could actually top up a four card. So companies will buy four cards for their drivers and then my office would ensure that those cards are topped up. So they will come with their invoice from the bank and then I'll have to carry that invoice with some other document from one office. So about three offices just to get signatures. And in my head, I'm like, what kind of thing is this? Like, why do I have to do this all the time? So my final year project was basically me automating that entire department. So I created a workflow document management system. Um, I didn't know, I was studying computer science, but I lost interest in coding. Um, so I called my friend, Sumdu, who somehow started learning how to code in school to help me build the application. And I had um, some other person, Gabriel, who helped design the whole thing. Um, we did it, and I tried to sell it to Total, because we all wanted to make money. Um, I remember quoting 50 million then, and they were looking, this was in 2011, and they were looking at us like very young kids, how do you, how do you want to do this? But it, was, it was, very, was a very interesting experience for us. They never bought it. They kept, you know, stalling for about two years. We would go for meetings here and there every time. Nothing came out of it. After two years, they told us that um, their head office in France had built something for them. It was painful <laughs> because leaving school in 2012, I never went back home to my parents. Um, I took my bags from school and I went straight to my friend's house because I thought I had found this great idea, you know, building softwares for companies and then I was going to make it. And I never went back home. My parents, my mom cried. My mom runs a school. She thought I was going to finish school and come help her run the school, but I just felt like I was going to be stuck doing that. So I left. I didn't care. She reported me to the deacons and church. Everybody kept calling, blah, 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 blah. She cried. I had to take my friends to her to go and see her. She was crying. Why would I basically do this to her after spending so much money on school fees and everything? And, you know, we just kept assuring her that, you know, don't worry, <laughs> somehow we'll figure it out. And, you know, we continued and we started to do a bunch of things. We built a couple of softwares, a couple of applications. We ran a, a number of things, I mean, about six to eight things that we failed at. Um, you know, through all those years, it was learning upon learnings, you know. Um, we learned a lot about building business models in Nigeria. I think that's one of the most important things. Um, it's, not, it's not enough for your app to just be shiny. The business model is the most important thing. Um, I remember when it was time to start Piggy Bank at the time, we told ourselves that <laughs> no matter what, this product must make money from day one. And we tried to figure out a way for that to happen. Um, it, was, it, was, it was a lot of pain. It was a lot of, we were broke for a long time, a long, long time. I, I still try to think back and like, why did we stick together, you know? The founding team, some of us got opportunities to travel abroad, to go do masters, we all kept that on hold. Um, some of us got jobs in like top places, we all shanked it. Um, somehow, we just stuck with each other. Um, one of the things I'm grateful for are my co-founders, right? Um, without them, I don't, I'm not sure who would have been where we are today. Um, it was a collective sacrifice. We knew that we, we be, the way we understand tech is 
tech has the ability to change things. And we believed that so much and we kept going at it. Um, I, I remember all the things we failed at and when you get to that point where you know that you can't continue to deceive yourself building this app or doing a lot of things, it's just not going to work, you know. And then we kept going, you know, we kept going, we kept going. It was hard. Some of us even had to do side jobs, like writing. Odun, I remember Odun was writing for a tech blog then. Some of us had to build websites on the side for other people. Some of us had to do a lot of things just to survive. I mean, I grew up in church and I was actually in the choir then, but I couldn't continue with all of those things. So some of, a lot of us had to do other things to just try and survive. But somehow we just knew that one day something might happen. We're not sure. December 2015 was, the, was very painful. We had around 25 staff working for one of our companies then called Push CV. And we had to let everyone go. But we're down to two people. It was, it was very, very hard uh, because you know it wasn't just working out, and we needed to survive. I think we're down to our last, let's say, three million or so. So after that, it was go back home and tell your parents that you're now home. <laughs> but you know, it was that same December where I was on Twitter. I went back home that year. I was sad because I didn't have any money. You know, normally when you're coming back home now, you buy rice, you buy one or two things for your parents, but none of that happened, so I was broken. Uh, but yeah, it was all good. Uh, I was scrolling through Twitter on the 31st of December 2015, and there was this lady who broke a box and put it up on the internet that she was able to save 365000 from putting aside one k in a box every day. Aside and like, okay. Um, the good thing about it is we had built a platform called Push CV at the time that had over a million users, but it wasn't profitable. We had built several other platforms like 500 Dishes, 99 Staff, Front Desk. These are all bus um, businesses trying to connect people to other people. So we had some expertise, right? At the time, we're lucky Paystack had just launched. Um, so I'm like, okay, let's give this a shot. Sumto bought the domain name. He had a prototype ready in about three days. He called me, told me to sign up. I said, okay. I looked at it. <laughs> I still remember how the UI looked then. It was so shitty. But then I, and to me, um, I was very, very optimistic. I, I, there was this feeling I had then about that particular product when I saw the prototype. I'm like, okay. And then I spoke to the person who was selling boxes on the internet. I actually bought the box myself, I paid two five. Um, but then the box came and I never used it because that, that, the product was already launched. And then I spoke to the person who sold me the box that, hey, check this out, try and use it and let me know your feedback. And he did, and he stopped selling boxes and he continued using it. I started to tell all the people who were selling boxes to, to use it. Somehow we started to gain some traction. And for that entire year, we helped people save 21 million naira. Um, we had never seen that kind of thing before. I mean, at Push CV, in about four weeks, we had made like 12 million doing a growth hack, but we had never seen that kind of scale before. So people literally trusted 21 millionaire of their money to a bunch of young people to keep for them. It was very strange. But we knew we had to do something, which is give them back their money anytime they wanted it. So for the entire 2016, we didn't make any money. We just held the money and gave it back to them anytime they needed it. I mean, we had a lot of partnerships, you know, we tried to scale it. And then in 2017, at the end of 2016, we just told everyone that, oh, okay, this is what we did, blah, 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 blah. And then everyone started to tell other people about it. The next year, we grew to over 700, about 700 million. Um, that was around 3,000% growth. And that was it, literally. We didn't, we didn't for one day look for investors. Um, I remember we had this program called Google Launchpad. 
and the chat told us that some investors were looking for us, Nigerians. And we went, went there, we had the meeting, no documents, nothing, just asked us, you know, what's your plan, what's your <laughs> vision? Then we told them, and in two weeks they wired us a million dollars. And that was how we started, like, okay. So it was a million dollars, but 600,000 in equity and 400,000 in debt. Between you and I, we never went back for that debt. So in, in the public, you hear that, oh, we raised $1.1 million, but to be very honest, it's only around 700K till date. Um, with that money, we've been able to grow to over 3.7 million users, helping people save over 25 to 30 billion every single month in new money. Um, it's a story of you know blood, sweat, and tears. I mean, I can't say everything right now, but it's it's been a lot, um, you know, from the rumors, from all sorts of things that would happen, and you know, you just trying to stay ahead. I remember I went I went to a lot of bank meetings, and you know, these people would try to I don't know say all sorts of things, and they'll end up not you know, partnering with you, but I mean, these days, they're the ones running to us now. Um, the, the, the thing here is, if we hadn't been building all the things we were building, I'm not sure we would have been able to build Piggy Vest. Um, there's, it's not rocket science. There's no, there's no way we would have been able to do it, right? So, I mean, like what he said, every single thing you're going through today, just see it as, God preparing you for something, you know, later on. Um, document as much as you can. Learn as much as you can. There's, there's a whole lot out there. I mean, we haven't stopped innovating. We've been building a particular product for, there's something we're going to launch very soon in our sister, in our sister company. That's, I would say it's a accumulation of everything we've learned for the past 10 years. Um, you know, tech is very powerful, and I'm very eager to see how that would actually fare. But that's literally my story. Just whatever it is you're doing today, just keep, keep at it. Please clap, and clap to these guys. <laughs> um, so, you know, I told Pastor Toby about you that we, we need this for Calibrate. Here at the tribe, every Sunday, I'm usually talking to about five, six, seven to ten people building tech products. So it's literally almost a startup church type of behavior. Right? But I, I just sort of realized there's a season here. And I know that they will go through this. Right? Um, I, I remember when we started my company, money came easily. I wonder, we just woke up and hired 40 people. We're on bowling. We're bowling. Then seven months after, I sacked all the 30 people, 30 people one day. It was such a botch sack that it happened. This well, because there was growth without depth, you understand? And so lessons started to happen after that, you understand? So you, um, you have to just keep, I've come to realize the, the growth, he spoke about two years pursuing a product, not closing a deal. Having somebody, you literally white label your product with a different name and showed you, like I've made it. You now go through years of building more products that didn't scale. See, uh, for sons, you will grow because you have to become that which you're giving birth to. Like, you, the business is not very different from the businessman. God has to develop you to carry the weight of millions of dollars. So if you're in a season or you're, in, you're, in, you're part of a startup team or you're in a company or a founder and you've been, it's been biting hard, it's not that Nigeria is hard, go to Canada. That's what people hear. And I keep saying startup, it's not to pot. It's not like Nigeria is hard, you go to Canada. I saw a video of people shipping cars from Canada, stealing the cars and bringing them to Lagos to sell. One of these days, they'll carry Canada and put it in a cab, drive and call Lagos. But my point is that we, we don't lose perspective. This is so powerful. I'm glad these guys came from Wumi to Jide and to um, Josh's story. Like every opportunity, God, God can never leave or abandon you. Some things take time. Jide said something so powerful, stay your lane. Don't approach yourself before you mature because you're an oak tree looking at a maze and say maze is bloom. Maze takes six months to grow. And six months, all the men are around the maze. Like, Maze, you're beautiful. I want to date you. I want to hang out with you. And the oak tree, oak tree is still a child. Like, the oak is just sitting there like, when am I going to bloom? And then one day, 10 years after, oak is standing, Maze is gone. 
20 years after Oak is standing, Maze is gone. Can you let God deepen your roots? Don't be in the comparison of saying they are moving faster than I am. One of the greatest damage we are living in is the, is the, is the fear of missing out, the FOMO syndrome. I'm not the only one. I'm the only one. I do. Don't let social media prime you out. Right? So stay in it. But please do us a song. Thank God you are in the choir. <laughs> I know you have That's a setup. I, I know it's been a while, but we're going to close with that. Just do us anything. Before I do the song, I just want to say something. Um, Christians call it grace but I call it luck. There is always that element of luck, right? Work hard, but also pray. And you might just get lucky. We were lucky, to be very honest. It's not because we worked the hardest. It's not because we're the smartest. We're not even not the smartest in the room. But there's just that, there's always that element of luck or grace. Call it whatever it is. But that's pretty much it. God. <laughs> okay. Rejoice. We need you now. You, you never know where we can go from here. Where is Timmy? Trigger. Waymaker, miracle worker, promise keeper, light in the darkness. Okay, where are you? My God, that is who you can log on to thetribelagos.com or email us at hello at thetribelagos.com Follow us on Instagram, Facebook and Twitter on The Tribe Lagos. God bless.